Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. We're going to start a series on Acts. And Acts begins very basically, because after the Gospels you have, which is who is Jesus, Acts is how do I become a Christian and be a part of the church, and it starts very basically and, and, and grows. And so today's sermon may seem very simple, but, and, 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 if it's your first day in church, you picked a great day. This one's the real basic one in some ways. Um, and sometimes we need to backtrack and create that foundation. And so we're going to start an Acts, but if we're going to start an Acts, we're actually going to have to back it up further and see just a little bit of what foreshadowed the book of Acts, the prophecy. And so I want to begin the book of Joel. Joel chapter 2, starting with verse 12. Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Jump ahead with me to verse 28, still in chapter 2. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Repent, says God through the prophet Joel, and one day. One day the Holy Spirit will come, and not come the way he has been coming on a select few people, but one day the Holy Spirit will come on everyone. And so we fast forward into the Gospels, and we see how Jesus built on that in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And we skip down to verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, 
will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And we jump ahead a couple of chapters to chapter 16, verse 5. Now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. And in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. So the prophet Joel says, one day, on the great and dreadful day of the Lord, the Holy Spirit will come on all people, and it will be amazing. And then Jesus says, I've got to go. And it's good that I'm going, because if I don't go, the counselor, the spirit of truth, will not come. That day that they looked forward to was coming, was coming soon. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's a day we may take for granted. The Holy Spirit was poured out on all believers. And, and we live in, and, and we call that day, of course, as we know, Pentecost. And we live in a post-Pentecost world. We haven't lived in that world before. And so what all of the Old Testament and during the Gospels was looking forward to, that's the world we live in. And we take it for granted. We who have accepted Christ are now clothed in his Holy Spirit. We've talked about what it means to be holy, to belong to him. And we might take that for granted. So when we talk about what it means to take up your cross and follow Jesus, we have to talk about what the cost of discipleship is. And so this is now kind of an easy series in a way. Because I want to do a study on what the word disciple means in the book of Acts, the early church. Jesus has gone. He has died. The the church... The, the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit, and as such, uh, we want to know what does the book of Acts, the book about the early church, what does the book of Acts say about being a disciple? And so this becomes kind of an easy study. We just go through the book of Acts, and every time the word disciple appears, let's talk about it. Um, we're going to go through the book of Acts and study the places where we read about that. Easy enough. So we start in Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, P- 
Peter is speaking to the crowd at what we will call Pentecost. We begin there. So if you would turn with me to Acts chapter 2, here's our real passage for the day. The other two were just leading in, giving us the background that we needed to make sense of Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of them hears them in his own native language, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. So my my first clue on what discipleship means to us, to the church, is that the disciples are empowered by the Holy Spirit and that this is a passage about unity and it's the Holy Spirit who unites us. This, this, we look at the global church, this is not from us and this is not something that we could pull off on our own. This is spirit-empowered. And what we read here is a spirit-empowered miracle that changed the world. Uh, There are parts in the Bible that I... There are parts in the Bible when we read through and we read these little stories that are are sometimes we think, what's the big deal on this? Maybe it fits into the bigger picture, but it's, it's not huge. But this is huge. It may be so huge that we don't get it because this changed everything. This, and, and it was the Spirit that did this. It was a spirit-empowered miracle that shook up the world, and they were perplexed. Now, a brief note on the word perplexed. Only one guy uses the word perplexed. Luke is the only writer that uses this word. Luke may have also been, in some ways, the only native speaker of Greek. We're still finding out kind of new information, even now with archaeology, on what languages they spoke in Israel. Uh, when I was in Bible college, it was we, we heard that they taught Hebrew in the temple, Greek in the market, and Aramaic in their homes. And that may be somewhat true. We're starting to find more and more evidence that they, that they were more familiar with Greek maybe than, they, than we realized. But regardless, as far as we know, all of the writers of the Bible were Jewish, except for Luke, who was Greek and who would have certainly spoken Greek fluently. And we see that in some of the language and vocabulary that he uses. And this word for perplexed, is the, he's the only guy that uses it four times total, once in his book Luke and then three times in Acts. And perplexed means it's that feeling you hit when something just completely jars with everything you understand about reality. 
Uh, and, and, and that's what this was. The, everything they knew about reality just got thrown off. Now, I am convinced, this is just me, can't prove this. I'm convinced that the miracle that took place did not take place in the mouths of the disciples. I think it took place either in the airway, in the air between them, or it took place in the ears. Because when we rattle off all of those languages, it's more than there were the, the, the 11 remaining apostles. Now, maybe, maybe there was, in addition to the apostles, there were other disciples, and everybody was speaking in a different language. But what I, I think that would be chaotic. What I think is that one person spoke, and everybody heard their own language. That's, that seems the easier explanation which didn't mean that everybody, you know, that they were all speaking different languages. It means they were all hearing different languages. A spirit-empowered miracle. And that would be perplexing. That would be very perplexing to the people living there. This is the beginning of the church. The Spirit united the church through the Spirit's power, not our own power. In the Spirit, we as humans are restored with ourselves we're restored with each other, and through the Spirit, we are restored with God. And that's what I want to talk about today. I've given you my three-point outline as we start. I want to look at this unity that the Spirit brings to us. And the first thing I would say is that we are restored to ourselves. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we are made in the image of God. What an amazing privilege. Alone among creation, we are different. And that's the difference between the church and those outside the church. Christianity teaches that you are special, that you matter, that you were made in the image of God unlike anything else in creation. Outside of the church, we're told we're just part of the animal kingdom that further evolved out, out and became, you know, we, we may have a level of sentience and consciousness that the rest of the animal kingdom doesn't have, but at the end of the day, we're still part of the common world. Christianity says you're made in the image of God and nothing else is in the image of God. And that that's a big deal. Don't take that for granted. You matter. Maybe you don't matter to the world, but you matter to God. He made you in his image. There are some neat things in the animal kingdom. I enjoy going online and finding things about these critters that are out there that just boggle my mind what they can do. It amazes me how many how many different kinds of animals are on earth and, so, and the amazing things that some of these things can do with camouflage and what, don't starfish like spit their stomach out and then bring it back in. There, there's some incredible things in the animal can, but none of those things are made in the image of God. They may seem amazing to me, but more amazing is that God made me in his image. Obviously not with hair color and eye color and things like that. We're talking about at a, at, a, at a conscious and moral level that we resemble God in a way that nothing in the animal kingdom comes close. Um, he made us in his image. You know what else amazes me? Stars. <laughs> Stars are amazing. They're huge. If, if you took the sun and shrunk it down to the size of a baseball stadium and then did the same with the earth and shrunk it down the same percentage, the earth would be the size of a tennis ball. That's a, the sun is huge, huge. You can't like say, well, the sun's a basketball and here's a ping pong. No, the relationship is a lot bigger. And yet, and yet, our sun is a small star. And I don't mean small like there are some stars that are the size of two stadiums. I mean, there are stars out there the size of 
tens of thousands of stadiums, and maybe I'm not even right on that, maybe even bigger than that. And knowing that, that our sun, if, if, if shrunk to the size of a, of a sta- baseball stadium, that our planet would be shrunk to the size of a tennis ball, now take how small you would be on that tennis ball. And you matter to God. You were made in his image, and to him, you were worth sending Christ to die for. And he loves you, and he knows you individually. And so we think of how enormous this universe is, and that's when, when my brain just shuts off. Um, I can't, knowing how big our sun is in that, and, and it's a small star, and then realizing that so many other stars, most of the stars are bigger than that, and looking up into the sky and now finding out that what I think are stars in the sky are other universes, most of them, with their own billions of stars. And you matter to God. And that amazes me. But those stars are not in his image. James chapter 3, verse 9. James says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing my brothers. This should not be. That, that have been made wasn't was made. It isn't a past tense. The different Greek verb tenses, this is a, we were made and we still are. It it has an ongoing ramification. We were made and we are made in God's image. There are people that teach that we were made in God's image. Adam and Eve were made in God's image, but we aren't now because we are. That amazes me that we are in God's image. But what does that mean? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, verse 22 You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and and holiness. We're created to be like God in, in righteousness and holiness. So here's what we have. Man lives, and we know this, We've been taught this, if anybody that's been in church. We live in a fallen state. Um, and, and so backtrack to what this means. Just as a review, Adam and Eve lived in a perfect relationship with God in the Garden of Eden. And they sinned. And because of their sin, they got kicked out. And sin is an act of rebellion against God. Okay, it's not, as I said, it's not like forgetting someone's birthday. Okay, sin, sin is act of rebellion. Um, Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Sin is not an accident. Okay? God doesn't punish us for lapses in memory or things we didn't know. Sin is an act, is active rebellion against God. God, they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. We were born outside of the Garden of Eden. We were born separated from God in that sense due to their sin. Their sin started the process. We are still in his image, says James and Paul and others. That image wasn't wiped out. Um, We are separate, but we are in need of restoration. We are in his image, but the image has been marred by our own sin as well. I don't want to blame this all on Adam and Eve. We are all sinners. There is an image, 
like looking into a mirror, but the mirror is cracked. The image is still there, but it's not what it should be. We, we can see the remnant, the echoes of the image of God in all of us, but we're not who we should be. It needs to be restored. Because sin is what you do wrong against God. It's a willful act of rebellion. We can go to the Old Testament for this as well. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt. Your lips have spoken lies, and your tongue mutters wicked things. We need to be restored to God. That's the message of the Bible. We are separated from God by sin. We need to be restored. That's the, God, that's the whole message of the Bible. The Spirit of God that comes inside us is the one that empowers us to return to God. And so I'm going to skip ahead a little bit in our book of Acts, and we're going to go to Acts chapter 2, verse, verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 19. Verse 3 tells us something very similar. The Spirit comes when we're baptized into the name of Christ Jesus. We can be who God wants us to be, who we were made to be. We can be righteous and holy. We just can't do it on our own. That's why the Holy Spirit is so essential. And the danger of the church, as we've talked about before, the danger uh, is that we can fall into a bit of a trap. In, in fear, we, we, if we, don't, we don't want to be called Pentecostal. That has become, some, for some people, has become a very negative term, and, and that gets into the denominational differences of the church. And in fear of not being called Pentecostal or charismatic, we can kind of fall the other direction, and we can kind of ignore what the Holy Spirit is up to. And we can talk about God and talk about Christ, and then kind of like, oh, we don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit. That's kind of crazy and mysterious, and, and there's a danger in that. We want to talk about all three. We want to talk about the Trinity and not not run from what the Bible says on the subject. Mankind is like a broken mirror. The image is visible, but we're not who we should be. God looks into us and sees what should be there. And with him, we can be restored. Now, we we will look. We we will continue reading through Acts chapter 2 in coming weeks. We will see later, just in this chapter, that this was the day that Joel foresaw. That prophecy of the great and dreadful day of the Lord when the Spirit would be poured out. It's, it's now. This is Acts chapter 2. That's what we're reading. Joel was looking at this day. That God would come through His Spirit, live within us. There's a word for that, isn't there? Emmanuel. God with us. Not just a Christmas term. God's Spirit comes within us, and we're not alone. From this point, we live every day with God in us. We are restored to being united with ourselves, with the way that God made us to be. But there's more than that that's going on. We're also restored to unity with each other. And Acts chapter 2 is big. It's game-changing. 
And here's why. Because it's the gospel. It's good news. The, the Greek word for good news is evangelism. In the Old Testament, there's not a lot of emphasis on evangelism. It's there, just not a big focus. Israel is supposed to be a light to the nations. Isaiah chapter 2, Micah chapter 4. It's there, it's just not super prevalent. Um, mostly they're a light just because their presence. Israel is this holy nation in the midst of these unholy pagan worldly nations and people outside looking within can see them. But there's not a lot about becoming Jewish if you're not Jewish. Again, it's there. We have Ruth. We have some of David's troops are Gittites. And we, we, we've got a few people that, that join Israel, but, but they're kinda, there's not a lot. It's kind of glossed over by and large. There are rules on how to become part of Israel, sort of. Uh, but, but Israel doesn't do a lot of advertising. They don't do a lot of, hey, come join us. <laughs> we don't read about that a lot in the Old Testament. So Pamela and I were introduced to each other by a friend named Abigail, um, Avi. And Avi was Jewish. And, and she was a good friend of mine, and we had a lot of talks on spirituality, and, and what she, she, in some ways she was very devout. And we had a lot of talks on what it meant to be Christian, what it meant to be Jewish. Something that she told me, and I don't know if this applies to all, but this applied, applied to her branch. Um, if you want to become Jewish, she said, we tell you no. And she said, we do that three times. Because we want to, you know, part of that is this idea that you really need to want it, and you need to kind of break through our no you can't join us and only on the fourth time do we start to talk about what it might mean to join our our spiritual community i'm glad that we don't do that now again there's israel was a light to the world in the past but there wasn't really much on what if i wasn't born jewish what if i wasn't a descendant of jacob today we don't care who you're descended from you could come from a long line of criminals (laughs) Welcome to the gospel. Welcome to Christ because God loves everybody and he wants everybody to come to Christ and, and, and your, your background doesn't... I don't even care what you've done. If you've spent most of your life in prison, the gospel is still for you. Um, we Acts chapter 2 changes everything because prior to this, really the way to get to God was to be Jewish. I mean, it may be a gross simplification, but really before Acts chapter 2, there's a lot of truth in that statement then it changes. And we wouldn't be here, any of us, if it wasn't for Acts chapter 2. It changes the focus. And it doesn't even, I I take that back, it doesn't so much change the focus. Let me actually revise that. It doesn't so much change the focus as bring the real focus to attention because Israel was always supposed to be that light for the world. That's a lot easier now. There's no question that the Holy Spirit is at work here. Men, from all over the world, can hear the gospel, the good news. We know that the word gospel means good news. And we don't even need to ask why, right? Because people need to hear about Jesus. He's the only way. He's died very recently, and people need to hear about it. The miracle makes sense. It's the start of the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's the start of universal evangelism. The church only works when we're listening to the Holy Spirit. He dwells within all believers. Now, when we try to do things our way, 
we have disunity. If I'm doing things my way, Eric's doing things his way, Ken's doing things his way, we're not united. We're all going in our own different directions. When we do things empowered by the Spirit, listening to the Spirit, then it works the way it's supposed to. Then we are united to him. The Holy Spirit empowers the church to be united. Acts 2 is the start of this. And there's a reason that the Holy Spirit is so pronounced in Acts chapter 2, because he's foundational. We can't have the church without him. When the church is empowered by the Spirit, the church can be what the church should be. And, and what is that? Well, we're told that the gates of hell, Jesus says the gates of hell, will not prevail against my church. Reminder that gates are not an offensive function, they're defensive, aren't they? That means the church is on the offensive, and we do that through evangelism. The church isn't supposed to be defensive. Hell is on the defense. Its gates are the ones that are threatened. When the Spirit is in charge, the church operates as the church is supposed to operate. When the Spirit is in charge, the church has unity and love and growth and maturity and focus, and we have that unity with each other. But we also are restored in our unity with God. As Christians, we're, bl- we're blessed that we live in the day that we do. Israel looked forward to this day. They didn't, get what they, were, they didn't really get what they were looking forward to, but they knew it was going to be amazing. And they looked forward to it. Joel prophesied that there would be a day when the Spirit was poured out on all men, all people. And I hope that we don't take that for granted. But I suspect that I do too, too often. So, and I suspect that I'm not alone. It's all I know. Since I became, it just, I take it for granted that when I pray to God, I don't need to offer burnt sacrifices on an altar. That there isn't a special class of, of Levites that, that represent me before God or, or, or priests. I take for granted that I can crack open my Bible whenever I want to, that I can pray whenever I want to, that God is always listening, and that His Holy Spirit is always guiding me. I'm just not always listening. In the Old Testament, there were two kinds of people filled with the Spirit, patriarchs and, and prophets. And, this is, and we see this as such a big deal that when the first king of Israel, King Saul, when the Spirit comes on King Saul and he starts to prophesy, um, the people kind of freak out. They say, is, is Saul a prophet? Because there are only two kinds of people. They're patriarchs, and they weren't around at that time then. And they're prophets. Those are the only people with the Holy Spirit. And, and I take that for granted, that I look around through a room of people filled with the Holy Spirit. I can't imagine what it would be like to go through life without, without the Spirit. And I don't want to imagine that. Peter tells the crowds that they too. The Spirit's come on, on these disciples in this upper room, and they begin, and Peter says, you guys can have this too. This is for everybody. It's not just for this, this close circle of Jesus' followers for a short time. Men lived Again, men lived in harmony with God until they were kicked out of the garden for sin. And in John chapter 14, we read that Christ died so that the Spirit, the Counselor, can come and live with us, to dwell in us. And that's the whole point of the Bible, isn't it? Somebody said that the Bible is two chapters of man living with God in harmony and a whole lot else and then two chapters of man living with God in harmony. That's fair. The whole story of the Bible is... We had something good and we lost it. How do we get back to it? In fact, take it one step further. In Genesis chapter 6, man tried to supplant God 
climb their way physically into heaven. We may laugh about this but because it seems ridiculous, but they tried it. God messed up their languages, which ruined their unity. And in Acts chapter 2, we see languages are no longer a barrier because through the Spirit, that barrier is gone and we have unity again. Through Christ's death on the cross, the way is open for us to return to God and be united with Him and reconciled with Him when we choose to accept Him as Lord and Savior. It's not for the whole world. It's for those that want it. His Spirit empowers us for that. Unity with God is again possible but only through Christ's death and through the gift of the Spirit, which, as I said, we're going to keep working our way through Acts. We read how Acts kind of ends. There's a way to get his Spirit. And so, and so our hymn of invitation is hymn number 327. And, and I ask the question, are you restored to God? Only through Jesus and his Spirit can that be accomplished. And Acts, the foundational book, Acts chapter 2, the foundational chapter on what does it mean to be a Christian, to be the church. And Acts chapter 2 ends with, here's how you do it. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, if that doesn't apply to you yet, if you haven't repent and been baptized to receive forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, let's just talk. Let's talk after church on what that means. Um, Different people are at different places based on their backgrounds, and that's great, that's okay. Uh, as we learn, we draw closer to the truth. If you'd like to have that conversation, I would like to have that conversation with you about what comes next. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.